I'm a travel influencer from the south side of Chicago. Worldwide Nate. Now I've traveled from Chicago, Chicago to, to the Congo, Congo, visiting over 60 countries across six continents. Who that? Welcome to Escape with Nate, the podcast that travels. Families will be taking a one tank road trip this summer where they can go just for the day and come back to avoid doing an overnight stay. That is the new normal. Welcome to Escape with Nate, the podcast that travels. Joining me today will be the visionary and co-founder of the African-American Film Critics Association, Gil Robertson. I'm your host, Nate Flewellen. Let's travel the world together at home. Come on, Escape with Nate. Your attention, please. Flight 104 to Dodoma now boarding. I am thrilled to have on the show today an entertainment trailblazer. He has been an entertainment journalist for over 30 years, has written for over 50 national magazine covers and for newspapers like the L.A. Times, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, USA Today and others. He is a best-selling author who has written five books and the co-founder and president of the African-American Film Critics Association, also known as AFCA, the premier body of black film critics in the world and produces the annual AFCA Awards. Welcome to the show, Mr. Gil Robertson. Hey, man, how you doing? Also written for Ebony Essence, uh, Black Enterprise and Vibe. All right. Throw some more sauce on there. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, we got to we got to include our peeps. Yeah. So in, in preparing for this interview, uh, I've read that you said that Africa's mission is two pronged, that it is to create pathways that support journalists seeking to grow their careers and for filmmakers as they seek to find an audience. And I love that quote because both of those missions are the core of what a traveler does, to create pathways and to seek. So what do you seek when you travel? Oh, wow. Um, when I travel professionally or, or when I travel for uh, leisure? Let's start with leisure. You know, I, I seek discovery. You know, I think travel is part of our growth process. It allows you to be introduced to another uh, culture, another perspective. You know, even if you're traveling domestically, you know, you're able to connect with people from different regions, from different communities who have different sensibilities than you, perhaps different foods that they enjoy eating different uh, ways of expressing themselves on, on many different levels. So, for, yeah, I would say the first word that pops in my head when it comes to travel is my uh, appreciation and uh, for discovery, my need for discovery, my need for expanding myself, expanding my world, my universe. I love it because I love discovery. So, like, how have you been dealing with the tragic murders of like George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor during this pandemic? You know, I mean, unfortunately, uh, none of it's a surprise, you know, like our former first lady, you know, America's what it is. And I'm never surprised by, I never expect much and never surprised by how ill treatment you know, that our community in particular as African-Americans, what we're given, how this society very often wants to make us feel as if we're just somehow disenfranchised, you know, from the norm, when in fact our contributions have, are responsible for the norm, are the mainstream. And when I mentioned our former first lady, I met Michelle Obama when she made the comment about being proud it was for the first time before Barack got elected. She uh, kind of got beat up in the press for that. But, you know, those of us who were listening all knew what she meant, that 
to be a black person in this country is to expect absolutely nothing because this country has never done anything for us without us asking for it or demanding it uh, more, more often than not, I should say. You know, these brothers, Jeffs, and the incident that almost happened in Central Park uh, is just another example of what I know as someone in their 50s that you can expect from living in this country. And, and rather than expect anything more, I, I, I don't expect anything from it other than what I'm able to to do for myself. Right, because, you know, for me, you know, I always feel like these events happen and I think we, we're reaching the tipping point, but then it, nothing, nothing really changes, you know, dramatically that I've experienced in my lifetime. Yeah, American society has taught me that the only thing this society uh, respects is what you're able to take from it. And that's the way I look at it. Survival of the fittest. Right. And that's that's definitely what it is here in America. So with that that philosophy that you've adopted, how does that influence or or distract from your desire to travel? Right. I forgot this was supposed to be about lighter topics. (laughs) No, it's all it all plays into it. It's interesting when you travel someplace as an African-American, because, you know, that comes with a certain type of expectation in terms of the people that you meet. Uh, not only in the country uh, that uh, that you're you know that you're visiting, but also from people from other places around the world. You know, people have very strong opinions of our identity as Americans, and then they also have another set of uh, expectations and ideas around what it means to be African American. So it's always very interesting to meet these people, and you can sort of tell when you're sort of dispelling those notions that they may have previously held about who we are and what we are. And so uh, I I rather enjoy that from what they're fed by the media. You know, I'm probably not the person that they're uh, thinking of or that they're led to believe an African-American is. I get that all the time too. You know, so when I travel, I'm looking for these places that provide this sense of utopia. Do you believe in that concept or have you experienced traveling to a place where it just made you feel like you could just... Like let let loose and let down your guard. Oh, let down my guard. I don't even know if I let down my guard in Los Angeles, where I was born, but um, completely. Uh, you know, I mean, you know, a trip to Santa Barbara could be a place where I might go and just totally relax at Palm Springs. Um, I love going to Key West. That's another great destination. Uh, Martha's Vineyard is a wonderful place to go and just sort of hang loose and and be free. Uh, internationally, uh, I mean, I, I can't get enough of Africa. I mean, the African continent is a pure joy. Uh, you know, I, I, I say to friends, I dream of Africa often, and I feel blessed that I've been able to visit the four corners of the continent. Tanzania is uh, a wonderful place to visit. I've done a, uh, a safari there that is still, that I still think about. It was utterly magnificent to be out there in a tent, a luxury tent, mind you, but a tent nevertheless, literally in the middle of the wild. And while of course those animals have to some degree gotten used to the presence of humans, still the fact that you're out there and you hear at night with everything with it being pitch black, you know, you hear these sounds and, 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 and you hear footsteps uh, that you know aren't human and while it's you're scared but it's also like strangely calming because you're just 
at one with nature in a way that I've never, ever experienced before. So I would certainly recommend a trip to uh, Tanzania. West Africa was always a goal of mine because, of course, most African-Americans are West African people. And to go there on my 50th birthday and to go to Gory Island to stand at that door of no return was an epiphany for me because it, for me, it represented a full circle moment of coming back to the source. So I love that. And they have this monument there that is absolutely spectacular of this Black family that I would recommend every Black person, every Black American see. South Africa, I mean, Cape Town is very cosmopolitan, felt like a European city uh, to such a degree that I was actually a little bit disappointed because I really wanted to have more of an African vibe, you know. I mean, Joburg, its skyline would rival any skyline here in the United States. And it's always funny when you're there because the people know that you're not from there. In most cases, although in Tanzania, we went to a village where we had to convince the people that we were from someplace else. They assumed we were West African by our physical, you know, physicality. And we were like, well, no, we're American. And they were like, no, you're not. <laughs> I guess we are. And then it was like, oh, so nobody told you. Like, you don't know about the last 400 years? You know. A lot of people in East Africa, they, they don't know. That was the most unbelievable thing. You were like, man, we done been through all this. And you guys just, you just think we just flew over here from uh, from Nigeria or from the Ivory Coast. Yeah, it shows how big the continent is and how disconnected it is as well. Right, they knew nothing of slavery or Middle Passage and, and the populations of people that left the continent generations ago. And it was, it was sad and it was, but it was also funny at the same time. Right. Now with Tanzania, what made you, because you could go to a lot of places in the, in the continent and do a safari. What drew you to Tanzania? Well, on that particular trip, that was a media trip, of course. So I've been to a, most of the world actually uh, because of my press card, my press credentials. And you, uh, for a, there a long window of time in my career as a journalist, I used to do destinations, you know, on top of the work that I, that I'm, probably better known for an A&E. Yeah, they wanted to take us to a safari. And so that trip included a week in Ethiopia and a week in Tanzania. And as part of being in Tanzania, they took us a safari. We had a, a two-day safari. Now, I've, I've done some press trips as well, but I, I wanna hear from you, if you could tell the audience, what what is the difference between traveling on your own and traveling for a press trip? Oh my God, well, depending on who books it, it's the work. I mean, the, uh, some uh, tourism company and travel media agencies will have you up at six and bring you back at 10. I think what's consistent about all of them, whether or not they're being sponsored by tourism, meaning the country, meaning you're being, you're actually a guest of the government or an agency where it's probably a combination of the airline, the hotel, and maybe some SVB money. Those trips are uh, the beat and rhythm of them tend to be different. But they like to feed you. They definitely want you to know their cuisine, their art. They want to introduce you to their culture. So uh, they're usually real, real busy. Now, I know when I went to Brazil the first time, it was on. Actually, both of the trips were, were, were press trips. But the first time I was in Rio, they gave us a lot of free time. And so it was very relaxed. And uh, 
you know, which in Brazil is what you definitely want to be because it's talk about gorgeous. My God. You know, so you had a nice balance. You were able to go to a lot of the key places that, but at the same time, you were given enough time to really explore and sort of find different things. And that's why I like the, the press trips. And I don't mind the jam-packed schedules because they really want to try to get the best impression upon you as possible so, you know, we can convey the, the better parts of, of that country. But the only thing I don't like about the press trips is that they're not realistic, I think, to most travelers. I mean, on one of our trips to Africa, we literally flew a private jet from one spot to another because our plane was late. We missed it and they brought a plane out for us. That doesn't happen when you and I are going there on our own. You know, you just got to wait the three or four hours until the next flight. So in that way, everything is so choreographed that sometimes I wonder, am I really getting, you know, what I need to see in order to share a real natural experience to my audience? Okay. So with that Tanzania trip, do you feel like that trip had a a balance where you got the red carpet rolled out, but you got a chance to connect with some unique people there? Well, Tanzania and in that part of Africa, the infrastructure is such that I really didn't mind it because um, it's not like, say, Rio, where the infrastructure in Rio uh, are in uh, the car is such that you can actually, you feel comfortable, you know, just sort of roaming around and doing whatever you wanted to do. I mean, Dar es Salaam, which is the main city in, in Tanzania, it's a city, but then it's also, you know, you definitely know that you're in a different place. So they kept that, they kept a tight rein on us and I wasn't mad at that. So you said the car in Senegal, you've been to Senegal, right? Yeah, when I went to Gori for my 50th. Now, how was that different from the Tanzania trip? Well, I paid for it, first of all. So, so it was different in that respect, but because of the journalism, I've become quite crafty at knowing how to really put together a trip. And so I was able to, you know, fly business. And I mean, my first time back in our native land, in, on the side of the continent that we're actually from, I, I had to step off in first. I couldn't come in the storage cabin. I had to be Afro proud, you know? And I ended up staying in a bed and breakfast there. That was really, really, really a smart move. Then what made this bread and breakfast special? The intimacy. I had a guide and driver for the whole time that I was there. Now, that's the one thing. Anytime I go someplace, the first time I always have car service. Like even the first time I went to Cannes uh, in France, I had a driver. It's like, you know, once I know the lay of the land, then I'm good. But I got to pick me up, take me where I need to go. Let me, I like taking baby steps into it so that I can get comfortable, know where's the U.S. Embassy, where's this, where's that. I mean, I'm real, real, real peculiar. But uh, every every place I go, when I go, I got I have a car. In the car, I kept the car literally the whole week and the guide. So every morning they came to pick me up, and we just went on another adventure. You have a, a great relationship with somebody. You could re- recommend that person to other friends that are planning to visit, and that's that relationship building, connecting with the people. Absolutely, and I mean the benefit you can give to other people. I mean, like I think when I left the car, I probably gave that guy. I mean. <laughs> I have a habit of when I leave these places, I give them all the money I have. And the guy actually started crying. But I've had that happen to me in South Africa and Brazil, where literally all the cash I have, I just give it to someone. I usually give it to an old black woman. But when I left the car, I gave it to this brother who had 
who was my guide there. And what I was later told is that it was enough for like two or three months. I mean, it was nothing for us. And I'm not a rich man, but I mean, I do okay for myself. You know, I feel like I'm leaving. I'm going home to a, a nice, comfortable home in either LA or Atlanta. You know, you gave me a good time here. They've all cried. I was in Soweto on a press trip to South Africa. I did my, my money move and the, woman and the woman with her knew how to speak English. She says, oh my God, she was like, she needs this, she needed money to go to her daughter. She's moving and she didn't know how she was gonna get the money. And I just, that was God. Cause I just randomly saw this lady, gave her a stack of money and kept, walk, was walking towards the shuttle like, by South Africa, I'm out of, we're out of here. It's become a habit of mine. Yeah, I, I like how you put it, the, the, your money move. So all, all the travelers out there, you gotta execute your money move when you travel. That's then, my give back to the people. Yeah, that's your give back right there. Now, now with your driver in, in Senegal, what were some of the things that you felt you, you benefited from having him that you wouldn't have, have enjoyed or learned if you would have traveled on your own? I didn't want mistakes. I didn't want to not knowing Wailu, which is the, the local language there, are French. I didn't want any confusion. And so that was just a way to safeguard myself, you know, to feel safe in the environment. I was good walking around going places because I knew as soon as I left the restaurant, he was there, him and the guy were there to pick me up. I mean, to take me where my, you know, wherever else I was going. Okay. Now the big draw for that trip was to go to Gory Island for you. Oh, without a doubt. How that experience transpired. Well, the whole thing was mapped out. I mean, I knew I was turning 50. And I knew that the one place I wanted to be, I wanted to have like this moment, this real full circle moment of my past meeting my present, directing me into my future. And I felt that the only way I could really do that, uh, and it's funny because since I've done it, I don't think about it as much anymore. But prior to that, I had always thought about those people in that moment getting on that ship and how us, as the descendants of that experience, how that one moment of walking out that door changed just, you know, the trajectory of, of civilizations. It was so funny because when we got there, there's a house that was the house of the slaves on Gory Island. And so, of course, when we arrived, and I'm like literally like feasting on this moment, like totally obsessed to get to this door. We get to the building and they're closed for lunch. So I had, so we decided to go to lunch. What else do you do? You go to lunch. So we went to lunch. And so finally we, you know, we came back, they were open. There were a lot of people there. Have you been? No, I haven't. So I'm interested, like how, is the place pretty big? It's just average size. It's about a medium sized building of that type. Cause it's like a commercial property, I would guess. You would, how you would label it. It's not a residential house. Uh, and the guide was with me. In fact, the guide and the driver, I think, came. So you arrive to like the, the entrance and then you take a boat to the island. Well, yeah, you arrive to the port because Gloria is an, is, is an island. Okay. Off the coast of Dakar. And so, I mean, it's not far. It's like going to Catalina. Or maybe it's even like going to Staten, Staten Island in New York. It's not far at all. When we got into the, uh, the building, the first thing you see is the door. When you walk in, you can see the door, it's on the other, it's the back of the building. The back of the building is the Atlantic Ocean. There were people, there were a crowd of people. 
And I'm like, oh my God, people, like, look, I've flown from LA. I am, listen, today is my 50th birthday. I want to be special today. I want the door to myself. And so I'm like, okay, let me be an adult about this. And so we went around and looked at this and that and all the different artifacts and things to see, see there. And so then it was time to go to the door. And oh my God, it's even right now, it literally brings chills to me. I mean, to just stand there and to just look out, amazing, yeah. I don't know if you remember that picture of Bill Clinton at the door, or Obama. I mean, him and Michelle at the door. I mean, it's just like, my God, this is it. This is it. I'm at the door of no return. You know, this is where all the good, the bad of our experience, of our lives as African-American people, this is where it started. Yeah, I couldn't, I can't imagine how that feels. I mean, even when you when you look out the door, is it just... It's just free. I mean, there are rocks and stuff right in the immediate area where I guess the ships docked at and, you know, there was must have been a bridge or something. And obviously we're talking a couple of hundred years, so there's probably been, you know, some land erosion. But yeah, you literally look out and it's nothing. The next thing you would body mass you would see would be the Americas. The truth about Gory Island is that there wasn't actually a lot of slave trading done there. There was some, if you really want to experience the slave trade, the human slave trade and Middle Passage, uh, there's actually a community not far, for a few hundred miles from the car. And then I, I hear that the castles in Ghana are also where a lot of activity took place. But for me, it was enough to experience and to, since doing it, 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 it was cathartic because it set me free. It totally set me free. Every time I've gone to Africa, I remember when we went to Ethiopia, it was just, I remember, I will never forget when the plane tilt, you know how the plane tilts as it's getting ready to make that turn to the runway? And there was a cloud cover and I looked out and I knew that when the clouds dissipated that the continent was gonna be there. I was like, Africa really is a place. You said you felt free. And I love to hear that because that's the quest that I'm on is always finding that freedom. So like prior to not feeling free, what were you holding in that you were able to release? I grew up in a family where my parents made it a point to inform us, to educate us, to introduce us in every possible way to our identity as African descended people. I mean, from books, from art, from plays, music, you know, we were uh, introduced to all of that stuff. And so, but the one thing, you know, seeing is believing. You know, and to actually be there, because it was still, even though I was aware and I knew I understood on an intellectual level that it was true, but to actually see it in that moment when the clouds broke, you know, that's where this is, I'm connected. This is, this is me. And even though we're not from Ethiopia, but I mean, but still it was, it was, that was my first time. And in fact, I remember my first trip overseas was to London and I almost didn't go on the trip because I was like, well, no. The first time I go overseas, it should be to Africa. It should be to where I'm from. Why should I be paying homage to some other place? I totally get it. That's a beautiful story. Considering that we are limited on the information that we receive about Africa. Right. So that makes it even more impactful when we arrive because because we, we've been force fed all about European history, right. et cetera. So we've been over educated about Europe and undereducated about Africa. So when you arrive, it is that feeling of, of wow. 
I, I didn't even know it was like this. If I had the ability, I would give every black person a trip. It's, it's, it can be life changing, you know. Australia was interesting for me too, because I went to Australia in search of the Aborigine. <laughs> okay. Oh my God, this was so funny. This was two years ago. I went to Sydney first. I was there for two weeks. And this was a mixed pay and, and tourism support. And so I stayed at the Four Seasons in Sydney, had a car pick me up from Sydney Airport, like I do every place. And I, w I knew I wanted to be someplace comfortable. And I was like, you know, the, I know the Four Seasons, I'm going to stay here. And the, the tourism sent a guide. They had a guide for me. And I knew some people there. So uh, I ended up doing the Aborigine tour in, uh, in Sydney and uh, Bangaroo. And then from there, I went to, well, I went to the community where Ayers Rock is. And Ayers Rock is in the middle of the desert. And that's like one of, part of the traditional homeland for Aborigine people. And, you know, I was, I got to tell you, I was a little disappointed in, in the conditions. And, and when I first saw one, I was just like spellbound and just, you know, I got to know over the few days that I was there, you know, got to know them. Met a brother there from L.A., from Inglewood who was living there. And he was a young, a young man. And he was like, man, I just don't want to go back to America. I kind of felt sorry for him because he was just so done with it because of how, you know, he had been treated as a black man, a young black male, and had seen other black men treated. So we go, I leave from there and we go to, I go to um, uh, the Great Barrier Reef. And I spend, that was the last city and I still hadn't really spent any real time with an Aborigine. The Aborigines that we met, that I met in, uh, in Ayers Rock, they were, they were Aboriginal, but they weren't really what I was looking for. Man, when I tell you, my last night, before I was leaving to go back to Sydney, come back to the States, I went to a restaurant that was maybe a block or two from the Hilton. I had to walk across it through a park to get back to my hotel, literally leaving the next morning, I come around the corner and there's this black family. I could not believe it. Hours before I was leaving, stopped them and I said, I have been looking for you for two weeks. And they were educated, they were well-dressed, they were, they were visiting their son who was a college student in, in uh, the city. And we spent the rest of the evening together. There's a picture of me and them on my Facebook page uh, of the whole experience, actually. It was the most amazing thing to meet this family. I was a little down because I was like, I am not going to get from this what I was really seeking was to meet someone Black. I mean, I'm always in search of Blackness, the different shades of Blackness, different, the different colors of Blackness the different expressions of blackness. And I got it. God gave that to me that night. That is awesome. So you, it's safe to say you are a, a mission driven traveler. Yes. I don't even think I would get this involved in this talking about some of my travel experiences, but, and so right before COVID, I went to Marrakesh, which is in Morocco. And then I was actually on my way to Buenos Aires this summer for my birthday. 
And now we're in COVID, so I don't know when I'm going to make it to Buenos Aires. As long as the world keeps spinning, the sun rises and sun sets, then the opportunity to go to those places will still be there. I hope so. I hope that we can get back to a place where where uh, travel becomes a practical thing to do. Right now, I'm just going to keep my feet on the ground. What are your upcoming projects that you have going on with AFCA? Uh, we've had a long relationship with BAFTA. Uh, the British Academy of, of Arts and Sciences. And we did a conversation with Chris Ludacris Bridges and Toby Cabell. And so uh, your listeners can find that uh, conversation on the AFCA channel on YouTube and also on BAFTA LA's YouTube channel. Of course, we're going to continue doing our virtual roundtables. On uh, the last couple of weeks, we've done uh, everyone from Issa Rae to Tracy Ellis Ross, uh, Leslie Odom and Spike Lee. We'll have AFCA TV honors in late August. We'll see what else comes up. Sounds like you're busy. The future is promising. It hasn't really slowed down. Well, that's awesome. COVID has not stopped the show. It can't. We can't let it. I'm a black man in America. I mean, this is the same. I've survived for 20 years in Hollywood, 20 plus years. This is just something, something new to uh, another mountain to climb. Another mountain to climb. That's what I'm talking about. So, um, so I have a, a question I like to ask all my guests, which is, what is your travel spirit animal? Hmm. Probably my travel spirit animal. You want me to an actual animal, right? Yeah, actual animal. Mine is a hummingbird. So hummingbirds are are very playful and they're very quick and, and nothing really bothers them. So that I, I, I feel like those are the elements of when I travel. I'm always looking for a good time. I travel light, nothing really bothers me. So the, a hummingbird is my travel spirit animal. I'm fascinated with cats, the jaguar, the cheetah. Elusive animals. They're elusive. They also, I love their strategy. They're the way they target and strategize to get what they want. I'm very fond of the turtle. In fact, my production company is the turtles, tortoise and the hare. I'm, I'm the turtle. Okay. On my IG stories, I like just kind of like give a, a quick teaser. And, uh, you know, I let them know that, um, you know, you were coming on. So one person asked, uh, you know, what languages do you speak? Embarrassingly, the only language I speak is English. I mean, I have a few phrases in Portuguese, you know, bonjia, uh, abrigado, you know, in French and Spanish. But in terms of being able to communicate, it's just English. So I'm I'm that American. I'm a handicapped American. Do, do you remember any phrases in Swahili? In Waylu? Yeah, in Waylu. Unfortunately, no. And see, I really didn't have to. The safeguard in having the guide yeah. was that I didn't have to get into any of that because I could tell them what I wanted and they could communicate it. Now that you've been, you can go back and then your mission can be to be able to learn a few phrases when you return. No, I would love to. Yeah, I would love to. If I'm ever able to get back to uh, Descartes, I'd love to do that. Okay. I'm definitely taking your advice on the drivers and doing my money move, you know, to give back to the people that are local. That's a beautiful tip. Well, thank you, Gil, for joining me today. Let the people know where we can find you, your social media. On Twitter, you can find me at Gil Robertson. And on uh, Instagram, you can find me at Gil Robertson. And of course, for the African-American Film Critics Association on Instagram, you can find us at AAFCA. And on Twitter, you can find us at The AFCA, T-H-E-A-A-F-C-A. Awesome. 
Well, thanks for joining me again, ladies and gentlemen, Gil Robertson. Thank you, sir. Now, the new normal report. U.S. airlines like American, Delta, JetBlue, United, and Southwest are temporarily suspending in-flight drink services. Lord, no more getting tipsy at 30,000 feet. Delta has eliminated all alcohol sales on domestic and international travel to Mexico, Canada, the Caribbean, and Central America regardless of cabin class. JetBlue is offering a pre-sealed snack and beverage bag. Southwest is offering cans of water and a snack mix on flights over 250 miles when available. Otherwise, in-flight drinks are shuttered. I have lived in cities with dry Sundays, but dry-friendly skies? It's a trend that I hope isn't here to stay. And that's the new normal. Your attention, please. Final call for flight 104 to Dodoma. Thank you for escaping with me today. Be sure to share this podcast with your friends and follow me on Instagram at WorldWideNate. Internets, until next time, stay safe and adventure accordingly. This has been a 31 Dogwood and Tasty Shop Media production with production sound design by Wine Designs Media. Brought to you by Entertainment Speakers Bureau.